Hello and welcome back to the Field Study Podcast, the place for outdoor adventures in the great British countryside. In episode two of this mini-series, you join me as I walk along my childhood river, all the way from its source in my village to the sea. As we walk along, we'll be learning about the history of this stretch of the river and how human beings have shaped and used it since as far back as the Roman times. So sit back and relax and enjoy a walk along the river on a cold, bright January day. So we've left the village of God's Hill in our wake and have entered into this huge, vast plain of agricultural land that lays to the north of it. And this is really the agricultural heartland of this part of the Isle of Wight. And it has been for centuries. So the path now meets back up with the river and uh, I can hear it before I can see it. And it definitely sounds very different to when we left it on the other side of God's Hill. It is getting big and bullying its way through the landscape. I can see it's got beautiful green pools. It's racing here underneath a concrete structure. So the proximity to the river here and the rich soils gave rise to really, really wealthy manor houses. And there's a few of them littered along this next stretch. This one, Budbridge, this one that we're approaching now, Budbridge Manor, is truly beautiful. It's got its own ponds, it's got a stately driveway. So manor houses like this became the, uh, the wealthy heartland of this part of the Isle of Wight. And the remnants of that legacy uh, still remains today. In fact, this is still some of the most productive farming land on the whole of the island. And from this manor house here, they still produce some absolutely fantastic produce. We're approaching a place called Redway and the, uh, the ground beneath my feet has turned into this beautiful red color. And this is partly what makes this place so rich agriculturally as we, we cross over a seam of red iron rich clay that runs all the way from here on the Isle of Wight all the way through into the Sussex Weald. It's all part of the same clay formation. And you can tell when you're walking on this part of the island because the soil is completely different to anywhere else. It's sort of red sand and feels quite alien to me. It's good country for watching badgers. They like it here because the, uh, the, the soil is so much easier to dig. So they can create these vast sets underneath the hills. It's a strange thing. Having lived here for most of my life, I've never actually been down this bit of track. And the Isle of Wight is famous for a few of its food crops. Um, and in recent years, tomatoes have become one of the, uh, the best exports that we have. Um, and that's because of a place that I'm approaching now, which is a massive complex of greenhouses and glasshouses. They stock Isle of Wight tomatoes now in Marks and Spencers and all sorts of posh places like that. And they are some of the best, I think, in the country. Um, and they are all grown here in this valley next to the river. They actually took us there on a school trip once when I was a kid and there was a buffet of cherry tomatoes. And I ate so many cherry tomatoes that I was almost sick on the bus home. It was one of the best days of my life, to be honest. How you doing, Fern? How are them little legs? Now, a few miles on and the river has changed its character yet again. Or should I say, we have changed the river's character. So as you might be able to hear in the background, there's a very busy road. And the footpath that I'm walking down now has been tarmacked over and is a rather popular cycle track. 
So every now and again, zipping past you at God knows how many miles an hour, there are retired men in lycra and ski goggles riding bicycles that cost nearly 10 grand. Hiya. The science fiction whir of an electronic bicycle there. But the river here is about one or two meters deep. Hiya. Another cyclist. And the depth of the river sort of silences it. It's sort of floating along at quite a pace, but almost silently in quite a deep ravine to my right hand side. And as we go further along, the botany changes and I'm starting to see plants that I hadn't noticed before, like cattails and alder trees and silver birches. It really has changed its character completely. And I think somewhere along this stretch of the river is where they've started to reintroduce wild beavers. Um, obviously in a secret location. And I think it's somewhere along here in possibly the most domestic stretch of the river that the, uh, the rewilding of beavers is starting to happen, which is fascinating. Beautiful trees with uh, purplish catkins on all the way down this stretch of the river, as well as discarded cans of Strongbow and Lucozade. It does feel like the river here is more of a, an afterthought it's certainly more human-centric. The tarmac ahead of me is sort of like a grey-blue imitation of the, the mud-brown stream next to me. The river will always choose the path of least resistance, and so will humans, <laughs> especially if you give them wheels. Thank you. Goodbye. So we're just entering a place called Alveston, and uh, this is sort of where the, the river gets, I don't know, sort of navigable by boat, I think. It starts to open up a little bit from here. And uh, across one of the bridges in one of the gardens, there's a huge campaign sign that says, say no to beavers. So obviously the rewilding uh, project to introduce beavers into this part of the Isle of Wight is, um, has been met with a little bit of animosity among the community. I guess with the introduction of beavers, it would uh, change the way that the river flows, change the shape of it. So you can understand people that own property and stuff may be a little bit anxious about that. But with all these things, there's always fear at the beginning of it. And uh, I'm not too sure it's always warranted. Look at the reintroduction of the, the red kite and the white-tailed eagle. Now this is a place which is uh, a little bit close to my heart. Just across the marsh from where I am now, is a little hide, um, so like a, a little cabin on a raised platform that me and my girlfriend used to come to to look at the red squirrels when we first started dating and take pictures. Haven't been there in a few years, maybe I'll go back this weekend. In fact, the Isle of Wight is the only place in the south of England which has still got its native red squirrel population. On account of being an island, the invasive grey squirrel the American grey squirrel has not made its way over here. So the biggest threat to the red squirrel population is cars, birds of prey, and leprosy. And in fact, a few years back, there was a, quite a big outbreak of leprosy in the squirrel community. But I saw quite a few last year, and they seem to be coming closer into the village, which is strange because they're quite a shy creature. So I wonder if that means that their population is expanding. We can hope so. Now, as I walk along the marshland and this bit of the river, I am hoping beyond all hope to
to catch sight of a kingfisher or at least to hear its little lilting call, the little beep beep. Uh, I know they're over here. I volunteered for the uh, RSPB reserve at Braiding and they have, they have at least one pair there. But yeah, that would really brighten up a January afternoon. That. As the marsh spreads out, it sort of becomes a tangle of grasses and fallen willow trees. Now all along the way on the River Yar, there are these stone markers that I think are made out of Portland stone. Um, and they were all designed by a single artist. And he worked with the children from different schools that were along the, the course of the river in order to depict the certain characteristics that the river goes as it undergoes its change on its way to the sea. And also to evoke a, a spirit of place. I know he was very interested in what it means spiritually and the different stages of the river as it makes its way. There are, there are certain ones which count down how many miles to the sea and how many miles to the source. And uh, they're wonderfully tactile as objects. But the artist Paul Mason sadly died way too young. Um, but his legacy sort of lingers in the, in the stones that he left along the way. Now you can tell we're getting nearer the town. Just walking along I can see about 60 people on this stretch of uh, cycle path ahead of me. It's such a change from my village to here, as the population grows. Um, it sort of makes my village feel a little bit more like wilderness. So the Yarra River Trail skirts along the edge of Sandown, which is one of the big towns on the island. And uh, the signposting for it, the way markers for the actual trail, are pretty non-existent. So um, I've just wasted valuable time in a cul-de-sac trying to find my way back onto the trail, but I believe I'm on the trail again and heading towards a place called Adjton. Ah, here we go. So I found my way to a river crossing and it's almost stagnating here as it sort of picks up volume and slows as it gets into the marshland. It's a beautiful tree overhanging the river that's got all sorts of lichen all the way over it. So this part of the Isle of Wight is interesting for its Roman remains. So this patch of marshland underneath here is uh, underneath Braiding Roman Villa, which is a rather stately Roman villa that sits up on top of the hill above Braiding. And the reason it was so rich is because the land is not as it is today. Uh, the sea used to come into there in a giant natural harbour, um, which meant that it was sheltered and fantastic for trading goods from the island uh, all the way across to Europe and to the mainland as well. So the, so the family that lived there became inordinately wealthy. So if you ever get the chance to go, the mosaics there are incredible. There's one of a, a man with the head of a chicken, which I used to like when I was younger. So this was occupied by the Romans for hundreds of years. And there's a vineyard somewhere near here. And we know the Romans used to grow grapes in this country for wine, as well as import it in from the rest of the empire. So I wonder if they had a vineyard here back in the day. Who knows? I can smell the sea and there's the sound of seagulls. So we must be getting close. But unfortunately, as with all estuaries, the River Yard doesn't make a straight break for the sea. It meanders all the way through this boggy, patchy marshland. So I'm gonna set my leg on full trudge and for the next few miles, I'm gonna make my way through this soft ground and hopefully make it to the beach before sunset. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Field Study Podcast. So if you're interested in foraging and food from the landscape, be sure to check out my YouTube channel where I make weekly videos showing you how to get the best out of your wild ingredients. 
The Field Study Podcast will be back next week when me and Fern finally make it to the sea. Whatever you're doing and wherever you are, I hope you have a great week and take care. <laughs>